Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. You can probably tell it's a little bit different today. You can see that on the table. We've got some, some things that we don't normally see on the table. We've got some matzah. We've got some grape juice, sparkling grape juice. This is actually at the uh, suggestion of Sherry. Sherry said, we've got to have a communion service. So today's going to be a communion service. It's a little bit different than we normally do. We're going to go fast today, too. I apologize to our court reporter because <laughs> we're going to be moving pretty fast. We're going to be looking at a lot of different passages. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one because we're going to be all over the place. Uh, but let's start off with the classic text, all right? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, 24, 25, and 26. Four little verses. Four little verses. You're going to recognize these almost as soon as we start to read them. And do I have a volunteer? Would somebody like to read those four verses? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Anybody recognize that? Anybody ever heard those words before? Ever heard those passages? Yeah, real common. These are probably the most quoted passages when it comes to having the communion. I mean, in some churches, this would be all you would get. I mean, this would be the bulk of it. They would basically say these words, pass it out, everybody take a turn, and we're good to go, and we could be in the wind. So we could wrap up today's study in probably about three minutes if we wanted to. But you know me too well. Uh, it's probably not going to be over in about three minutes because I like to look at where did these words come from? What is Paul referring to? What's the background? Stuff like that. I saw somebody wearing a shirt and the shirt said, let the Wookiee win. Let the Wookiee win. Anybody go, yeah, I, I know what that's about. Anybody here? Star Wars. All right, good. All right. So we got Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. In fact, when I saw the shirt, I thought to myself, boy, that is in the past somewhere in my mind. And I couldn't quite put my, my finger on it. And I finally looked it up on YouTube and saw the clip. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what it's all about. So it has to do with Star Wars. I'll, I'll paint the picture for you. Basically, you've got C-3PO. Everybody knows C-3PO. You've got R2-D2. All right. You've got the Wookiee. All right. You've got Chewbacca. And Chewbacca is playing a board game with R2-D2. And it's a board game, it's a chess game, but it's a holographic chess game. And Chewbacca's losing, and he's complaining about it in his, you know, growl. And C-3PO rebukes him and says, hey, it was a, it was a fair move, you know, what's wrong with that? And then uh, Han Solo intervenes, and he's, you know, the captain of the Millennium Falcon, as you know. And he intervenes, and he basically says, you know, it's probably a good idea not to make him mad, you know, mm -hmm. because you guys are droids, he's a Wookiee. And Wookiees have been known to pull the limbs off of droids mm -hmm. if they are, you know, upset. And so 
C-3PO says, oh, uh, okay. And he leans over to R2-D2 and he says, let me suggest a new strategy. Let the Wookiee win. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and so those are four words. Let the Wookiee win. Four words, right? And the, most of us in here in this room, we're like, boy, if I have any memory of that, that's a long time ago. I don't know. I don't remember what the background was. I don't know what the setting was for that. And so we had to go over a lot of different stuff to get the setting, right? We had to go over what is a Wookiee. We had to go over a particular Wookiee named Chewbacca. We had to mention the Millennium Falcon, Han Solo, C-3PO, droids, R2-D2, holographic chess, board games, and attitudes of Wookiees toward droids when the Wookiees are losing. You know, we had to go over all this kind of stuff just to unpack four words. All right, today's study, we have four verses. <laughs> all right, four verses. So we're going to be looking at these four verses. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed. Everybody say betrayed. 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 On the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. Say bread. bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body. Say body. 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 Which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. Say remembrance. remembrance. Of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. Say cup. 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 After supper, saying this, this cup is the new covenant. Say new covenant. New covenant. New covenant. In my blood. Say blood. blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance. Say remembrance again. Remembrance. remembrance. All right. In remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Say the Lord's death. The Lord's death. And say until he comes. Until he comes. comes. All right. So those are the verses that we're going to be looking at. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 21. We're just going to do those two verses, and then we'll jump down to verses 26 through 29. But I want to volunteer to go to Mark chapter 14. Somebody want to be the person that goes to Mark 14. Lavette, thank you. Mark 14 for Lavette. And you're going to be looking at, starting in verse 17, and then you're going to jump down to verses 22 through 25. Okay? So, Lavette's chore, I want Lavette to do this. She's going to be over in Mark, and I want her to listen for basically the same message that we hear in Matthew. So, at the end, Lavette, I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to say, Lavette, is that pretty much the same things that are said over in Mark? All right? So, she's going to be our sentinel over there in the book of Mark. Everybody else is going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Verses 20 and 21 for starters, all right? 20 and 21, while Levette's over in Mark 14, 17, and 18, all right? So here we go for everybody else that's in Matthew 26, starting in verse 20. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Say the word betray. Have we said that already yet today? We have. That's in the same passions that Paul was using, right? All right, so jumping down for those of us that are in Matthew, we're jumping down to verse 26 while Levette's jumping down to verse 22. Verse 26 of Matthew chapter 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Say bread. Bread. Blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Say body. Body. Then he took the cup. Say cup. And gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Say new covenant. New covenant. Which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Levette, is Mark pretty much the same as Matthew? Got a couple little differences. So we've got pretty much the same recording, the same event recorded by Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew and by Mark in the Gospel of Mark, okay? And this is clearly 
the same event that's being described by Paul in 1 Corinthians. And so the natural tendency might be to think, oh, Paul just borrowed what he saw over in Matthew and Mark. And he used that information and put it together, and that's what we have in 1 Corinthians 11. But that's not the case. Because 1 Corinthians was written, put in print, before Matthew and Mark. Paul actually records for us in print the first recording of that Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, that meal that they're having together that Matthew and Mark also tell us about. So Paul was first <laughs> in writing it down. There was definitely an oral tradition that was being passed along, but the written tradition by Matthew and Mark came after Paul. All right, so Paul is first, and these, the passage we started with is actually the first recording of that meal or that Last Supper, that Lord's Supper occasion. I want to point out a few additional things from Matthew's version. Matthew's version adds some additional elements. In Matthew's version, you have in chapter 26, verse 28, the additional information of the remission of sins. The remission of sins. What does remission mean? That's what my version has. Your version might have something different. What does that mean? Forgiveness, Forgiveness of sins. I like that. <laughs> Me, as a sinner, I'm looking for forgiveness, right? Without forgiveness, I'm lost. Remission of sins... I like that there's a remission of sins element here because I need to be forgiven. I have sins and I need to be forgiven. And then verse 29 has some additional information or I should say enhanced information. Jesus says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Over in Paul's writings, what was it? It was till he comes, right? Paul was saying that the Lord did this, he engaged in this, this ceremony of sorts, and then he said he wasn't going to drink it again until he comes. All right? H had he already come? He had already come. So what is Paul talking about? Is he not talking about something still yet future? He is. There's something still yet future from the perspective of Paul. As he's looking back at that Lord's Supper occasion, he's saying that Jesus himself, and we find the confirmation of that in Matthew and Mark, Jesus himself was not just looking back, he was looking ahead too. He was looking back, but he's looking ahead. Looking ahead to what? Well, according to Paul's words, looking ahead till he comes again. According to Matthew's words, he's looking ahead until he drinks it anew with you in your father's kingdom. And according to Mark's words, when he drinks it anew in the kingdom of God. His father's kingdom and the kingdom of God, so there we're equating God with the father. Jesus' father is God. All right. So anyway, there's a past looking back, and there's a future looking forward. Luke has additional information. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22. Verse 14, we're going to start with verse 14. We've got some additional information here. Luke twenty-two fourteen. when the hour had come, he, who's that, who's the he? He sat down, Jesus. When the hour had come, he sat down, Jesus, or Yeshua, had sat down, and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire. Now, this sentence right here is not in Matthew and Mark. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this, what does your version say? Passover. Passover. It's a Passover meal. That Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, is a Passover meal, according to this right here. We didn't get that from Matthew. We didn't get that from Mark, at least not spelled out as clearly as we have it here in Luke. I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. And then uh, you'll see at the uh, end of verse 16, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled. Until it is fulfilled. It sounds like it's not completely fulfilled yet. It sounds like there's still something yet future about it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then in verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, something yet future. 
And then in verse 19, we have an additional element that Matthew and Mark did not give us, but Paul did in 1 Corinthians. He says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That phrase is in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians, but it's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark. Another thing to notice, in Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 11, in Matthew's writings, in Mark's writings, and in Luke's writings, it all says New Covenant. Have you seen that? Did you notice that? It came up in all of those. This talk about a new covenant. We're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. So right now, what I want to do, though, is I want to springboard off of what we saw there in verse 15. It's about the Passover. All right. It's a Passover meal. And I think Esther even said before we got started that they only have communion once a year. And it's during Pesach, right? It's during their observance of Passover. So what we're going to do, go to Leviticus 23, verses 4 and 5. Leviticus 23, verses 4 and 5. These are the feasts. Say feasts. Feasts. These are the feasts of the Lord. Holy, say holy. Holy. Holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Say Passover. 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 So here we have in Leviticus the list of feasts. All right. These are God's big days. All right. And among the big days is the Lord's Passover. But we got to go back even further to see what the Passover is all about. Exodus chapter 12 is the original Passover. It's a lot of verses. We're not going to read all of them, though. I'm going to summarize a lot of them, and I'm going to highlight a few of them in particular. But going to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is the original Passover, if you will, the original Passover meal. And I would even say the original Passover event. Okay, so in this, you basically have the Lord comes and he speaks to Moses and Aaron. And he says, I want you to talk to the children of Israel. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell them to follow these instructions. And then he gives them instructions to follow. And among those instructions is choose a lamb. All right. The lamb needs to be free of blemish. Right. No blemishes. All right. It needs to be a perfect lamb. You're to choose it several days in advance. It's to be selected and watched for several days. And then after the passage of several days, when you're satisfied that it's blemish-free, that it's perfect, then it comes time for the sacrifice. You sacrifice the lamb. You sacrifice the lamb for household units. And when you sacrifice the lamb, you're to take some of its blood and you're to paint that blood, if you will, on your doorpost, the left and the right of your door and above the door. You're to put the blood around the door. Okay, so you've got the lamb that's going to be sacrificed. You've got the mention of the blood that's going to be put on the two doorposts and the lentil. That's in verse 7. And then you've got this other element in verse 8. You're going to eat unleavened bread. Why unleavened? Because on that night, you're going to be in a hurry. You're not going to have time to be careful about the bread rising. You ever have somebody that bakes with leaven, and it's like you've got to tiptoe around the house, and it takes a long time, and if you, like, thump on the floor a little too hard, that loaf of whatever was being baked with leaven, sometimes it would just go and fall, you know, fall into itself or just fall apart, all right? There's not time for that. It's like get up and go. It's like it's time to go. We're getting out of this land. We've been slaves until tonight, and starting tomorrow, we're free, all right? It's freedom from slavery. We're leaving Egypt, and we're going. We're hitting the road, all right? We don't have time to wait for the bread to rise. We're bringing the bread with us, and it's going to be unleavened. We're going to be picking unleavened bread. And then in verse 12, you've got this additional element of judgment. Judgment. What kind of judgment? The Lord's going to inspect the houses, He's going to look and see if the blood is there. And if the blood's not there, there's going to be judgment there at that house. And in that case, in that setting, it was the death of the firstborn. So judgment comes to those who are not under the blood, that don't have the blood on the doorway of their houses. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go down to verse 14. And somebody might reading verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you 
shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. All right. How many times is feast mentioned in there? Two. Two. Mention two. Everybody say feast. Feast. All right. Everybody say feast. 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 All right. (laughs) What do we think of when we hear the word feast? If we're not saturated in our Bible, what do we? I think eat lots of food. All right. I think Thanksgiving. All right. I think a big day with an unlimited supply of food and there's going to be leftovers. All right. That's a feast in my mind. So when we read these words and we read it as a feast, we're like, oh, they ate lots of food. All right. It's not the same thing. I'm just pointing that out to you. It means a special occasion. All right. It's a solemn occasion. And when you had these solemn occasions, the Lord called those feasts. All right. So it doesn't necessarily have to equate to unlimited supply of food, lots of Tupperware, things you're going to be taking home. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just pointing that out. And then verse 42, go down to verse 42. It is a night of solemn observance. Say solemn. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out. Bringing them out. Say deliverance. Deliverance. Deliverance out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord. A solemn observance. Say solemn. 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 For all the children of Israel throughout their generations. All right. And then verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner... No foreigner shall eat it. So wait a minute. Who gets to partake in the Passover? Israel. Israel. No foreigner. I am a foreigner. So are most of you. Just point that out. All right, moving on. Verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger, I'm a stranger. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. So there's now, it appears, a provision for a stranger to partake in the Passover. But my goodness, how do they inspect for that? I, um, never mind. Moving on. And let all his males be circumcised and let, let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. Circumcision was a sign. You remember that was given to Abraham and it was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign that you are a special people. Passover is not to be observed if you're a foreigner or a stranger unless you're willing to identify with this special people group in a special way. And the way is circumcision, all right? Let me ask another question, too. What were the two elements that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul was talking about the Lord's Supper? What were the two main elements that we were looking at there? The body and the blood as represented by what? The wine and the bread. Yeah, the bread and the cup. Good job. So in Matthew and Mark, did you see the wine or the cup, the mention of the cup? Yeah, Yeah, there was a mention of a cup. Did you see the bread or hear anything about the bread? Yeah, there was mention about the bread. Same thing in Mark, right? We saw the same thing in Mark. We saw the same thing in Luke. So the elements that we saw so far, the consistency is we've seen the cup and we've seen the bread. All right. Going all the way back then to this Passover, do you see bread there? Yeah, unleavened Unleavened bread. Do you see some sort of cup there? Hmm. Where's the cup? I don't see any cup. Oh, but wait a minute. What did you say? The blood. Do we see blood there? Huh, that's interesting. We don't see the cup, but we see the blood. So the element's still there in its solid form, if you will, not the symbolic form. The cup is the symbol. The blood is the solid form, okay? The bread is the symbol. The body is the solid form. But we had bread there too, so we're good. In fact, if you were to look at bread and wine or bread in the cup, you could go all the way back to Genesis 14, Abraham and Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes out to meet Abraham and he brings bread and wine. All right, so if you were to do a study of bread and wine, you would end up going all the way back there to Genesis 14. Looking here then at the Exodus story, we've got the bread, 
All right, it mentions unleavened bread. We've got the cup in the form of the blood as shed by the lamb, all right? But we have an additional element, a really big element in Exodus. What is the really big element? We have a lamb. We have a lamb in Exodus. Where's the lamb in the Gospels? It's Jesus. It's Yeshua himself. He's the lamb. He's the lamb, all right? Here's another thing about the blood. Blood's icky. I don't want to get blood on me, right? Here's something I want to point out, though, about blood. Go to Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. You're like, oh, we were just in Leviticus. Couldn't you have just kept us there? <laughs> Leviticus 17, verse 11. Somebody mind reading that? The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. Is it fair to say then, according to verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, is it fair to say the life is in the blood? The life is in the blood? Say, the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. So when we're reading the Exodus story, there's blood there. But we find in Leviticus this mysterious phrase, the life is in the blood. Okay? Just pointing that out to you a little bit. So what have we got so far? We've got the Exodus story. We've got a deliverance. The people are delivered from slavery, from bondage. They're delivered from that oppression. And there's the element of blood there. The life is in the blood. Don't know what that means yet, but we'll see it in a few minutes. We've got the bread there, the unleavened bread. And Jesus ends up taking that element and saying, this is my body that's broken for you. We had a lamb, though, in Exodus. But here in the Gospels, the lamb is present. He's the one emceeing the service, all right? Uh, Jesus or Yeshua himself. So how about this, though? Jump ahead to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 48. Jesus, when he's having this Lord's Supper occasion, all right, that wasn't the first time that he equated himself with bread. And that wasn't the first time that he mentioned something about his blood. John chapter 6 has the mention of bread in verse 48. Somebody mind reading that? I am the, okay. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. How about verse 54? Somebody mind reading that? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Thank you, Esther. My blood has eternal life. Say, my blood has eternal life. My My blood has eternal life. My blood has eternal life. The Exodus story had the blood over the doorpost of the home, right? And what did we just learn? We learned that there's life in the blood, and more specifically, Jesus' blood. He says, my blood has eternal life. My blood has eternal life. We don't need to put blood on our doorposts, all right? We need to put the blood of Christ over our lives. Because it's his blood, it's by the shedding of his blood that we have life. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We only have remission of sins. We only have forgiveness and we only have eternal life because he shed his blood. So what does that lend to this observance? It makes it a solemn occasion, right? We recognize that big things were done and still yet to do because he had some sort of future thing that he was mentioning as well. We mentioned about the new covenant aspects of it, right? We looked at and Jesus uses this phrase, new covenant, And Paul uses the phrase new covenant. That implies that there was something before the new one, right? That implies there was something else. If we think now about the Exodus story, if we think about the Exodus story, what happens? They leave Egypt. God shows his mighty hand. The Egyptian army is drowned in the sea. And they're out in the wilderness and they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God meets with Moses and he gives them the Ten Commandments, right? And those Ten Commandments, the law, if you will, the teaching, he gives them the Ten Commandments. That's in Exodus chapter 20, but there are only 10 of 613. There's actually 613. We just, we look at the Decalogue and go, oh, there's the law. All right. But basically, what was that? It was a covenant at Mount Sinai. God was making a covenant at Mount Sinai. When Jesus says, this is, this blood, it's about the new covenant. 
what is he referring to that, or what is he implying that there was something prior to that, some other covenant? It seems to be that he's taking everything that's before and he's using that as a foundation and he's building upon it. And this is something new that he's doing. And he says, my blood constitutes this new covenant with you. All right. So looking then, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we started. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. We usually look at these four verses out of the context that they're actually in. We look at these four verses and we go, oh, that's familiar territory. Yeah, I recognize that from communion Sundays when we, when we do the bread and the wine. But it's in a bigger context. The bigger context, if you could call chapter 11, verses 23 through 26 a paragraph, there's a paragraph before that starts at verse 17. And there's a paragraph after that goes from 27 to 32. What is the context? Let's look at those other two paragraphs. You look at the paragraph that starts before, verse 17. I mean, Paul's got to be in a good mood, right? We're talking about the Lord's Supper. How does it start, verse 17? Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Does that sound like the way you would expect it to sound when we're talking about the Lord's Supper? <laughs> He's saying you're doing something wrong. Mm, you're doing something wrong. That's a great way to start. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Ooh, I think there really is something they're doing wrong. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions, say divisions, divisions, divisions among you. And in part, I believe it, for there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, say hungry, hungry. and another is drunk, say drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame? Say shame. Or do you shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. <laughs> oh, man. Those are immediately preceding. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. It's a different context than you would think it would be coming out of. What is he saying? They're doing it wrong. They're observing the Lord's Supper. But he says, no, the way you're doing it, you're not. You're not observing the Lord's Supper. Back in those days, here's what would end up happening. You would end up having a community gathering or an assembly or a church. And within that church, you would have the rich and the poor. And usually you would observe the Lord's Supper at the rich person's house. Sorry, you'd go to the rich person's house because they got room. And the rich people don't like to go to the poor people's house because maybe it smells. And there might be a cow in the living room and another one next to the table. So let's just meet at the rich person's house. It's just cleaner and easier. All right. So they meet at the rich person's house and there's going to be a meal. But here's what the reputation of the Corinthians was. The poor people are showing up at five o'clock and the rich people are answering the door going, come on in. We started at four without you. I mean, come on in. You're right on time. They were eating a special meal of their own and the poor people would show up at the time they were told to show up and what would end up happening? They would show up and the rich people are already drunk. They've already eaten to excess. They didn't wait for the others. They didn't invite the others. They're not even sharing with the others. And the others didn't even have a place to sit in the same place that the, uh, that the rich people had. The rich people would meet in a room called the triclinium, all right? And it was a room for eating, and it had the table, and everybody's reclining at the table, and that was the place that you would eat. The poor people that would arrive, oh, well, you know what? We don't really have enough room in the triclinium, but we've got enough room in the entryway. You can sit here in the entryway. We, we've made a place for you so we can accommodate you. And Paul is saying, that is not right. The way you're doing it is not right. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. But jumping down to verse 27, 
This is immediately after the place that we're most familiar with, the verses 23, 24, 25, and 26, those four verses that come right out of the Lord's Supper ceremonies that we're so used to. Verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What was unworthy about the way they were doing it? The rich were taking care of themselves. They're separated. They're keeping this wall of separation between them and the poor. They're getting drunk. The poor stay hungry. It was this division among them that Paul is hearing about, that he's upset about. He says, the way you're doing it, it's an unworthy manner. You'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, verse 28, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment. Do you remember saying that word already somewhere? It was at the Passover passage. You don't do it the way the Lord wants you to do it. You're going to invite judgment upon yourself, judgment upon himself, not discerning the Lord's body, not discerning the Lord's body. Sometimes I've heard churches where they will have a communion service, and sometimes they'll even dabble in these verses here, and they'll say, drinking of this in an unworthy manner means if you've got sin in your life, unrepented sin in your life, that would be participating in an unworthy manner. And surely that is the case, but this is not the passage you would use to support that. Okay, What Paul is actually saying is doing it in an unworthy manner is actually showing a disunity within the body is actually doing it with divisions according to class or divisions according to status or, or culture. So he says here, not discerning the Lord's body, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. He's saying because you guys are doing it wrong, you've got people that are sick in your church. You've got people that are weak in your church. You've got people that have died in your church. And Paul is saying in this context, and I'm not saying it has to be the case today, all right. I'm not saying that everybody that's sick in your church and everybody that's weak in your church and everybody that dies in your church is a result of doing communion wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is Paul, blessed with God with discernment, was able to tell them, hey, I know that you guys have experienced sickness. I know that you guys have experienced weakness. And I know that you've experienced death. And the Lord has shown me that the reason that you've experienced those is because you're doing it wrong. You're not discerning the Lord's body. You haven't examined yourself. You're eating in an unworthy manner. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Looking there again at verse 29, the way that ends. Eating and drinking judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. When Paul is speaking of the Lord's body, it might behoove us to go one chapter before. Turn to chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. It says this, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Verse 17, for we, though many, who is the we? It's the followers of Christ, and specifically addressing the people in the church that are followers of Christ. For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that Paul is saying, when you get over here, not discerning the Lord's body in verse 29, he's saying, you're not acting like the body of Christ. When you've got factions and divisions among you and you're coming and you're calling it the Lord's Supper and yet you maintain these divisions that Christ broke down, he says, you're not acting like the body of Christ. And when you're behaving in that manner, you're eating in an unworthy manner. You're not discerning the Lord's body. I also mentioned another thing as well when we look at this passage. Jesus was looking back. Yeshua was looking back, but he was also looking ahead. All right? What was he looking back at? What was he looking ahead at? When we observe the Lord's table, when we come to communion, there's some things that we should keep in mind. Number one, 
we should be looking back, and what would we be looking back to? We'd be looking at Jesus' sacrifice. We look back to Jesus' sacrifice. What should we be looking at now? We should be looking at or appreciating the forgiveness that we have in Christ. When we look back, we look at Jesus' brokenness. What should we be appreciating now? We should be appreciating our unity in the body. That's what he's talking about here. You've got disunity, you're not doing it right. We should be looking at what he accomplished in the past brings us to here. Where his sacrifice leads to our forgiveness, where his brokenness leads to our unity. But what about the future? What would the future hold? We look forward to something in the future when he says it's to be fulfilled again in the future. Can anybody think of how it would be fulfilled in the future, what we might be looking at? The feast. The final feast. feast. Some of you might go, what is that referring to? How about Revelation 19 using language over there? Marriage Supper of the Lamb. What is this? This is all past, present, and future. When we come to the Lord's table, we've got a past, a present, and a future to keep in mind. The past is that wonderful thing that Jesus did when he died for us, when he shed his blood. There's life in the blood. His life, his blood. Without the blood, we've got no life in us. We've got physical life, but we don't have spiritual life. We don't have eternal life. Unless we have the blood of Christ over us, we're not participants in that eternal life. The death of the Lamb on our behalf... What does that secure for us? It secures forgiveness, it secures wholeness, and it secures union. And then we look forward in the future to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you can look at it this way, that last supper, the Lord's Supper, is kind of like Jesus' proposal. And then we're living in a stage where we're living in engagement. And then in the future, what do we have to look forward to? The marriage. So what does a guy do when he proposes? He sacrifices himself to buy that ring. What does Jesus do? He sacrifices the most valuable thing he possibly can. He lays down his life for us. All right. So that was kind of like the proposal and the sacrifice that attended that. We live in the time of, of engagement, and we look forward to the marriage. All right. With that, let's partake. Okay. So what I've got here, we've got just symbols, just elements here. We've got bread, and we've got the cup. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks. And I don't know it in Hebrew. But I think it starts with Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu. Nicely said. <laughs> Couldn't say it myself. And he breaks the bread, right? And he shares it with everybody. So here's what I want to encourage you. Go ahead and take a piece. And we're all going to take it together because it's, it's a very communal uh, participation, all right, where it's something that you do it as a group. You do it as a body. We are the body of Christ. Paul uses that over and over again in his teachings to say that we are his body. He breaks his body so that we as a body could be made whole. And that's why he was so upset, because they were still living in their brokenness when he had provided the opportunity for them to be made whole. All right. And let's pray if everybody will. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you gave your son. We thank you that that broken life provides for us the opportunity to be made whole. We thank you now for being able to participate. In the name of Jesus, amen. And then as it says in the same manner, he took the cup, right? And he shared it among his closest followers. We, if we identify ourselves as his followers, we partake as well. We take up the cup. And just as we did with bread, we want to wait till everybody gets it, and then we're going to all partake together. And this is a symbol or representation of his blood, his blood that was shed for us and in which is life. Without his blood, there is no life. People say, oh, there's lots of ways to heaven. Well, no. (laughs) Eternal life is not available just by any route. It's only by Jesus himself, by Yeshua, by the blood that he shed. It's his blood that provides for our eternal life. So let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this blood that was shed for us. We're drinking sparkling grape juice, but we recognize it as a symbol of the blood, the life that was given to us. Thank you for eternal life. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I want to say I am honored to have participated in this communion with you guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sherry, for bringing it up. Oh, thank you. All right. God bless you. Let's go ahead. Would somebody like to close in prayer? Lord, just uh, thank you, God, for all that you have done for us, God. I thank you for everyone here, God. Faithful, awesome examples we have, God. May we be, our faith in turn be strengthened, God. May we draw closer to you, God, each and every day. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys have a great week. Amen.